Good evening, everyone. Uh, it is great to be speaking to you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here at St. Nick's. And it is wonderful to be celebrating with you today on our fifth birthday, um, our, launching our month of five-year celebrations and uh, baptisms. Come on, so wonderful to celebrate together. And the five years that we're celebrating this month is not about bricks and mortar or an organization, but what we're celebrating is all that God has done. God's heart for Bristol and all those individual moments where people have heard and responded to God's heart for them. So that is what I'm going to be looking at this evening, the heart of God, the invitation of God. And to do this together, we're going to look at a passage from Luke's Gospel. So to set the scene a bit, Jesus is in the house of a prominent religious leader. All the great and the good, the religious types are there. I'm picturing like a lot of out of control beards and long robes. I don't know about you. Um, and there's also though what the Bible calls tax collectors and sinners. They're like the societal baddies. We're talking like the immoral, but also tax collectors are basically like the Nazi sympathizers of the day because they work with the Romans. So it's a very odd mix of people. You've got the great and the good and the tax collectors and the sinners. And somehow, I don't know if you can picture a scenario in, in now that would draw that kind of crowd, but for some reason this person, Jesus, is drawing them all in together. They're all crowding in to hear what he has to say. And the holier than thou lot, they start getting a bit judgy and the Bible says that they, they muttered. I don't know about you, can you picture any good time that someone mutters anything? Like if you mutter during my talk, I won't read it well. Like you don't really mutter good stuff, do you? So it says they started muttering um, and it says they muttered that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they're obviously shocked. And to be fair, Jesus' behavior is pretty shocking for the societal norms of his day. And he answers this muttering with a series of stories about lost things being found. A sheep, a coin, a son. I love this. Because this affirms to me that Jesus and I had the same personality type. He's like, he's like stretching for a metaphor about like how to explain this thing. And he's like, oh, I lost my wallet earlier. Oh, I lost the keys to my donkey. You know, he's like had a similar morning to me. He's lost all his stuff. So you think, oh, yeah, I'll talk about lost stuff. Love that. We're clearly very similar. And, uh, and so that's where we get to in our passage. Uh, we're going to look at the parable of the lost son, this story Jesus tells about a lost son. So let's read it together. It's in Luke 15, 11 to 24. It'll be on the screens. If you've got a Bible with you, grab that. There are Bibles at the front here on either side. If you want to grab one of those, check I'm not making it up. Let's read together Luke 15, 11 to 24. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of those hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, or the prize aubergine. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. So what is this about? Well, Jesus is telling this story, this parable, this metaphor as an explanation of the heart of God for the individual. Jesus, God in human flesh, the God who has come close, is stepping into the human mediums of speech and story to show us something about the heart of God and his character. And what is that heart? Firstly, that heart is to invite you into living in your true identity. A few years ago, before my wife and I were married, uh, I was a lodger. I was living with this great couple in this lovely country house just outside of Western Supermare. There's got to be some perks to working in Western Supermare, right? So I was living in this lovely country house, and these guys, they'd been on a holiday, so they were away in France for a couple of weeks. And I, got to be honest, the, the whole key loss, wallet loss thing is probably because I live in a state of perpetual chaos. So it was the day that they were coming back. I was about to go to work. They were going to get home while I was at work. So I had this manic morning running around like a, like a complete, like, I don't even know what, racing around all over the house, trying to like sort out all this stuff, pick up the random dirty pairs of underwear that I'd left everywhere and mountains of washing up and all that jazz. And I was hoovering frantically in one of the rooms. I smacked my elbow on the wall behind me and uh, there was like a little plastic box there on the wall that I'd never noticed. Suddenly, bam, the alarm goes off. It's a panic alarm. Didn't know people had those in their living rooms. Uh, the alarm is sounding really loud. I'm like, oh, shuffling over. Mute the alarm by putting in the code. The alarm company is supposed to ring up at this point and be like, what is the password? Uh, it didn't happen. I kind of forgot all about it. I finished my tidy up, getting ready for work, eating some breakfast. I was eating my breakfast at the breakfast bar, and the dog that was sat next to me went absolutely nuts, charged across the room and was like going ballistic at the window, turned to look at like, what's the dog doing? To see a policeman like shuffling through the garden, like past the bushes, like to get around to the back of the house. And as I was trying to like compute that this was happening, there was someone knocked at the door. And I turned around to look at the front door and through the little glass window in the front door, there was another policeman there. And as I walked over to answer the door, I looked to my right and I saw like through another set of doors and windows like out down the drive, another policeman and a squad car blocking off the drive. I was like, what is going on? And uh, I answered the door and they said, hello, there's been a distress call from this property. And I was like, oh yeah, it was me, it was an accident, don't worry about it. And they were like, and who are you? 
And I was like, I'm the lodger. And they were like, we don't have anyone registered to this address except Tim and Jerry. And I was like, oh, well, they're not here at the moment. And then he was like, and where are they? And I was like, France. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, where in France? And I said, I don't know. I'm not their dad. And uh, this is when things got from bad to worse, because I was a kid's pastor at the time, right? So has anyone heard of the game Fruit Ninja? Yeah? So I had just finished recording a live version of Fruit Ninja. So in this holdall that I brought in from my car, there was a baseball bat, a frying pan, that was a bit of an odd one, a baseball bat, a frying pan, some knives, a machete, and a pair of goggles. And when the policeman saw that, he was like, I need you to sit on that sofa now. My colleague is going to come in and search the property. And I was like, okay. And uh, they were quite obviously looking for Tim and Jerry in one of the cupboards or something. It, it all got pretty ugly. And he was like, who are you? And I was like, I told you I'm the lodger. And he was like, can you prove that? And I was like, no. Because uh, I was like a child adult. I didn't have a bill with my name on it or anything to do with the address. I hadn't updated my passport or my driving license. They still like my parents' address in Devon. It was really, real bad. And I suddenly just completely froze of like, oh my word, how do I prove who I am and what I'm doing here? I mean, some of you look like you've had a bit more experience dealing with the police, but I haven't. So I, I was in a state of panic, and it just completely, my mind went blank. I couldn't think how I proved who I was and what I was doing there. And eventually, I managed to calm down and explain who I was. And I was like, why don't you go and ask the neighbours? They all know me. Um, it all turned good in the end. But what is the point of this story? Why am I telling you this strange morning that I had? Um, well, essentially, I think this shows something in minute that happens to me much wider and generally in life. This wild panic that we have, this need that we immediately have, and our mind goes blank to find out who we are, find out our identity, prove our identity, prove that we belong. I seem to spend so much time doing that. And we see this in our parable. The son, doesn't he? He loses sight of his identity as a member of his family. And he goes on this search for identity in all the wrong places. We see him seeking his identity in what the passage calls wild living. You know, he seeks his identity in hedonism, in pleasure and good times, in the approval of the young and the beautiful. As in his status as a big spender, he seeks approval, his place, his identity, um, in the promises of a Friday night, the sex, the excess, the good times. Maybe you can relate to that. And then when his cash runs out, his phony friends, funnily enough, disappear. And uh, we see him seek his identity in himself. Rather than going back, he sticks it out under tough conditions. He works a job that would have been societally, like, really demeaning. And he's plugging on, you know, he's a strong, independent chap who didn't go running back to his dad at the first sign of trouble. He's still got his pride and he seeks his identity there as a self-sustainer, as self-reliant. Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know what it is for you, but I find the motivations of my heart are so easily pulled into defining my identity by others. I need to dress like this so these people will accept me. I need to be fun and carefree, but I also need to nail the grind so people will respect me. 
I need to be interesting and intellectual, but not intense. I need to display this characteristic in this meeting, so I'll be perceived like this. I find myself often agreeing to things or saying things that I don't actually agree with or believe because I want the person I'm talking to to like me. You know, the person that I spoke to before the service. I'm sorry, I don't think that Wales are going to do well in the Rugby World Cup. I said that to make you feel better. Isn't it so easy to seek our identity in the validation of others? I don't know what those things are for you, if you're being honest with yourself. Where is you go for your identity? But we can so easily spend our lives running around like a horse that's bolted, trying to find ourselves, prove ourselves, work out who we are, and it is exhausting. We see it virtually break the sun in our parable. And I can tell you, I've been in that place, and it nearly broke me. But God offers another way. The passage said, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son says, I don't know who I am. I thought I would find myself in pleasure. I thought I would find myself in the admiration of the crowd. I thought I would find myself in self-reliance. I haven't. I'm empty and I don't know who I am. And the father says, you are my child. I have compassion for you. I love you. I am glad that you're home. What a beautiful insight into the heart of God, his heart for you. The heart of the God who made you. Isaiah 43 says this, hear the words of the God who made you, who created you, who formed you in the womb. Don't Be afraid. I have redeemed you. I've made a way for you to come home. I have called you by name. You are my child. Hasn't it been so beautiful tonight to hear about Jack has found his identity as a child of God? I remember that moment when I realized that all of this stuff that I knew about Jesus was actually true and had been for me. And I could stop trying to define myself, prove myself, find myself, and find my identity in a relationship with the God who made me. It was like feeling my heart start to beat. That moment changed everything for me. Since the very beginning, God's plan for a hurting world has been a revolution of individual hearts hearing and responding to what Jesus has done for them and turning and accepting the embrace of the Father who runs to them. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus was for you. He was born to save you. He went to the cross thinking of you. As he was resurrected, so were you. It was your brokenness he dealt with, and it was you that he set free. And he wants a relationship with you. Because he is for you in every sense of the world. He loves you. Paul, the guy who writes massive chunks of the New Testament, uh, he, he pens all these letters to the early church after meeting Jesus and being transformed by him. He puts it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul didn't experience anything that you can't. It's that personal, and it has the power to change everything. 
God's heart for you is to daily accept the invitation to find your identity in a relationship with the God who made you and who is for you. So that's the first thing. We are invited to find our identity as a child of God. The second thing that I think this parable shows us is that God invites us to come to him as our father. Seems obvious, right? Like find your identity as a child, come to him as your father. But I think it's so easy to miss. When the disciples were taught to pray, Jesus said, start your prayer, our father. You know, but it's a bit more significant than starting your email, hello, Bob. My, uh, my friend Rob and I have this ongoing feud because we have very different views on what it is to be hospitable or hospitality or whatever you want to call it. Essentially, Rob wants me, when I get to his house, to just open the door and walk in which I am never going to do. And he gets really annoyed with me because I knock on the door like a sane human being. Like, I mean, can I just, hang on, who would do that? Would you do that at your friend's house, just walk in? Okay, Rob, if you're watching on the live stream, everyone here thinks you're weird. Okay. I'm obviously never going to do that. And also, when I arrive, if I'm going around for food or a meal, I will bring like a bottle of wine with me or something to drink, which Rob finds really annoying because he thinks that's what kind of acquaintances do and friends shouldn't have to do that. And also, if my drink runs out while I'm at Rob's house, he expects me to just get up and go and help myself to whatever I want, which I'm obviously also never going to do. It's weird. But when I get to my parents' house... I walk straight in, and I help myself to my dad's beer cabinet straight away. You know, when I go to someone else's house for dinner, I might park some of the issues that I'm facing in life. Put on that brave face, or a mask if we're being honest, because we're oh so British. I don't do that at my parents' house. I walk in exactly as I am. I'm free to be exactly how I am, to feel exactly how I feel, to be exactly who I am. Because they're my parents. This is the invitation that we see from God in our passage. The father doesn't say, hello, wayward son. I told you going off on your own was stupid. You've wasted half of my estate. I'm very disappointed in you. And I knew you'd come crawling back. He runs to his child. He runs to his child who he stood waiting to come back. So often I come to God like he'll be tired of me or he doesn't have the time for me because, you know, he's got some big stuff on or he can't meet me in my brokenness and I should kind of hide that away. I was laughing on my way in. I rode my motorbike in for this evening and I was parking it up over the road and as I took my helmet off and turned around, there was these two little kids on bicycles. They were like 10 maybe and one of them said, excuse me, sir. And I said, yeah. Uh, And he said, can you give us directions to the harbour side? And I said, yeah, of course, mate, no worries. Right, you go then. And then uh, he was like, oh, thank you so much, thank you so much. Oh, one more thing. Can you go in this convenience store and buy us a couple of vapes? <laughs> I was like, no, come on. Get back to meeting your mum at the harbour side, mate. What are you doing? But... <laughs> I find I'm so often like that with God though, right? Like I come to God of like, hello Lord, thank you for creation and the clouds and everything's so wonderful. And don't feel like I can come with the second thing, the thing I actually wanted in the first place or the thing that I actually needed to process, right? But God invites us to come like his father. The son in our, the son in our passage, uh, he comes back, doesn't he? Hoping not to be treated as a son, but to be treated as a member of staff. 
Yet God always, without fail, runs to his child and he says, my son, my son. I had the joy of speaking to someone recently about their experience on Alpha. I guess we've heard a bit already tonight about Alpha, but um, it was really cool. They talked about this moment of transformation, which kind of changed so much for them when they realized that God wasn't this like cosmic policeman judging them and requiring perfection, which is what they'd always thought, but rather a savior who loved them, a loving father who wants to meet them where they're at, in their highs, in their lows, in the rawness of their life, to meet them in that. I love that. We're invited to come as a child to God as our father, to bring our whole selves to that, not a polished version of ourselves, our whole selves. There's a book of prayers contained in the Bible called the Psalms. And honestly, they're quite odd and funny at times because they contain things you just wouldn't expect to find in the Bible. You know, they contain prayers that are like raging at God or accusing God of abandoning you or praying for your enemies to be crushed and thrown in a pit. You know, I don't think God's going to answer that one, to be honest. FYI, in case you've been, you've been knocking on that door. Um, so why are they in the Bible? Well, they're in the Bible because it's the most beautiful form of prayer. Because it involves coming to God exactly as you're feeling, exactly as you are. Not putting on a front or hiding anything or behaving like you might get zapped if you say the wrong thing. But being real with God. Like you would with a parent if you've got a good parental relationship like that. Because of what Jesus has done, God invites you to come as his child. Like our son in the story, you know, he's got nothing to offer. He's hungry, he's bedraggled, he's penniless. And the father runs to him, embraces him with compassion, showers him with love and good things. So what is the message of this parable that Jesus told It is that the God who made you invites you to find your identity in relationship with him as his child who he loves. And that that relationship, because of Jesus, in that relationship you're invited to come to God as your loving, running father. Why don't I pray? Can I invite us to stand or pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you that you were born, you walked this earth, you showed us how to live. You died and you were resurrected to make a way for us to come home. You are the father who runs to the son. And I don't know, maybe tonight you feel like that son. You feel like you've been a long way from God. You feel like you've been looking for your identity in all the wrong places. And maybe you want to take this moment to come home, to accept the embrace of the Father who runs to you. If that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. And maybe you want to take this moment. Everyone's got their eyes closed. Maybe you want to take this moment to just picture Jesus before you. And I'm going to say a prayer, and maybe you want to echo that prayer in your hearts. 
Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the times that I have sought my identity outside of being your child. I'm sorry for the times that I've gone the wrong way. Lord Jesus, I want to come home to you. Home to the embrace of the Father. I thank you for what Jesus did for me. I thank you for your cross and your resurrection. And I thank you that that means I can know freedom here and now. Lord, I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to meet me in this moment. I want to know you in my life and know you as Lord.